if I've learned anything at all from yoga, it's that every breath is another chance to feel better. <laughs> so that's really it. It's so simple. Just uh, slowing down a little bit. Everything is going to get done. You're doing all of the things, you know, the stress doesn't add to the productivity in that way or the feeling anything useful. So, you know, once we can just train ourselves to slow down a little bit, then things get better. Hey everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 173 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. For episode 173 of the show, I am chatting with Tara Styles. She is the founder of Strala Yoga. She is obviously a yoga teacher, a best-selling author, and so much more. Such a fun one in which we get into everything from how dance was actually the gateway for Tara into yoga, opening up a world of freedom and joy that she didn't really know was possible. We also talk about her first few classes at Crunch and the frenzy that came hand in hand with opening her own space, as well as the role in that was getting featured in the New York Times and how that changed everything for her. I can totally sympathize and mine was not a five-page spread. <laughs> Tara and I also rap about teaching during COVID, what it's been like for her shifting to digital, and how she keeps her head on straight with hundreds of thousands of people following her practice online. Really loved this conversation. Had a blast getting to know Tara a little bit better, and I can guarantee you a few laughs along this listen. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And I want to give some love to the Hurdle community. You all have been making my week listening to my newest collaboration with Spotify. Last week, I dropped a 45-minute audio-guided run of sorts, part of their new music and talk unlocked series. My episode specifically is called Conquer. I would love for you to give it a listen. It was a lot of fun to create, a lot of fun to put this playlist together. I get so many DMs often asking me about my go-to running playlist, and this is a nice little snippet inside my head with a lot of great motivation to go hand-in-hand to push you toward your best on your next run. I'm going to link to that project in the show notes, but honestly, I mean collaborating with Spotify as a podcaster is probably one of the best opportunities that you can get. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has checked it out. If you're going to listen to it, I hope you do. Make sure you're tagging me over on Instagram. I'm over at Emily Abadi. And don't forget to tag Spotify over at Spotify. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Tara Stiles. She is a 
best-selling author. She's the founder of Strala Yoga, a well-known practitioner in the space. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. How about you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here with you. I have to admit that I have had a little bit of a stressful morning and I feel like right now, like I really need your energy. Just like a little, a little reset here is like really what I could use at the moment. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. Reset is the whole thing. You know, if I've learned anything at all from yoga, it's that every breath is another chance to feel better. (laughs) So, you know, that that's really it. It's so simple. Just uh, slowing down a little bit. Everything is going to get done. You're doing all of the things, you know, the stress doesn't add to the productivity in that way or the feeling anything useful. So, you know, once we can just, you know, train ourselves to slow down a little bit, then things get better, which is good. I love that. Every breath is a new chance to start fresh. Okay. We're starting fresh. We're present. We're here to talk to each other. I'm so excited to chat with you. I actually uh, used to work at Rodale when we published your book. Oh, sweet. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for that. Um, that's uh, <laughs> that, that was really, you know, a, a, a sort of beginning of a big chapter for me. So I remember being over there and, you know, kind of peeking in offices, wondering what I could get going and saying, you know, I'd love to do a yoga book. And so many people saying yoga is so boring. Nobody wants a yoga book. And, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, but it doesn't need to be boring. I mean, this was a long time ago. I think it was 2008, but you know, here we are and yoga is so cool now. <laughs> so cool. So oh my God. Time flies when you're having fun, right? What a 2008. Geez. Well, I mean, you have been doing yoga for much longer than just the past. It does some quick math, 15 years. So talk to me a little bit about how you got started in the practice, because I know as far as your career, you did not jump into the job world and say to yourself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a yogi. <laughs> Yeah, that was not a job, you know, at least you know, even 20 years ago, I don't think it was a job. So I grew up doing all kinds of things, but dance was what I thought would be my career. And I went to dance conservatory and, you know, was doing my thing. And my ballet teacher uh, brought in yoga to our program. And this was the late 90s. So obviously yoga is older than the late 90s. But as far as being popular in America, you know, it wasn't really a thing that that many people were doing, let alone teaching. So I remember coming into this class and seeing this person sitting in the front of the room, literally happy for no reason at all. And I thought, this is amazing. (laughs) I want to have this feeling for my life. And I thought it would be, you know, just a tool that I use for myself, because again, there was no example of doing this for career day, you know, and uh, I just loved it. And my ballet teacher saw that I was really focused in the classes and really kind of wanting to know more. And he brought me a book, Autobiography of a Yogi, his favorite book on yoga at that point, and became a mentor of mine in yoga. And I, I kind of didn't even know what that meant. You know, what do you, what do you mean you're going to teach me about yoga and show me the way about yoga? So, you know, more and more things started to happen for me and point me in that direction. And I think for so many people, one thing just continues to lead to another. Once you fall in love with something, I couldn't help but to share it with my friends. You know, my first thought was, this is amazing. And my second thought was, wait a minute, why don't all my friends do this? <laughs> so I, I needed to get, you know, everybody involved because you have to share the good things. How old were you when you were at Dance Conservatory? Uh, 17, 18. 
So. Wow. Okay. So yeah. growing up, you must have been a pretty active young woman. Yeah. You know, I was always, I think most little kids are jumping around doing stuff. <laughs> I don't think I was that different from, from most kids, but yeah, I was doing these kinds of things. And, you know, I think through the physical practice of yoga, that really made sense for me to connect to that deeper sense of, you know, who am I, what's going on? How does the world work or how can I use my energy for good? Sort of all of those massive feelings that we all have. And, you know, at least for me really have a hard time putting into action, you know, what do I do with this big feeling of energy and excitement and enthusiasm? And how do I sort of direct myself? And I think through the practice of yoga, that became a lot more clear, okay, I can organize myself <laughs> and, and do something and calm down and, you know, just just go for it. It seems as though you had dreams of being a prima ballerina. Yeah, not so much prima ballerina. I thought that growing up, but then as soon as I got to conservatory, my teacher, Roy Foster, who brought the yoga in, said, you're an incredible dancer, but don't get your hopes up about ballet. You don't have the turnout. And I'm thinking, what? I can just fake it, you know, the turnout. And he said, no, like our, our other teacher for contemporary was Eileen Cropley, and she's still alive. And she was one of the original dancers with Paul Taylor. So I thought, okay, there's this whole world of contemporary dance and that felt more comfortable for me anyway, just with my mood and my feeling and the way I love to express dance. So I was really kind of headed in that direction it, and, and continued to, and it just kind of kept getting swept back into, you know, whether I was dancing or talking to somebody, I was just asking everybody if they practiced yoga and if they didn't, why didn't they? So it just literally started to you know, consume more of my time and, you know, eventually kind of take over for sure. <laughs> Something else you said in that whole explanation, you mentioned that the yoga teacher just seemed so happy for no reason at all. And I actually think that for many of us, that's a feeling that we hope for or a way that we kind of wish that we could be, because I don't think that's a very intuitive way for many to just exist in. And so for you, as you started to practice yoga, did you find that you were feeling that way more frequently? Absolutely. I mean, this, this kind of happy for no reason, I think the the fear, at least I have, and, you know, sharing this with so many people I feel is shared is, well, if you're just happy for no reason, then you're going to be a deadbeat or you're not going to be a productive member of society. You know, what about your hopes and your dreams? And I found for me... I started to get happy for no reason and my desires and my hopes and my dreams got easier to point myself in those directions instead of being panicked or worried or afraid really of my own judgment of myself or what I thought others might perceive of me doing things, you know, all of those kind of uh, stresses that kind of get in our way essentially. So you know, it made me happy for no reason, but it also pointed me in a good direction continuously. And I noticed every time I sat down to practice, whether it's then or now, I get redirected toward, okay, don't go that way, go this way, or don't be panicked about that. Put your energy here. And while you're doing that, you can be happy <laughs> at the same time, you know, whether you get there or not, it's still, you know, you deserve that happiness. It's so interesting. Just this idea that you said about being a happy person and coming off as like what seems as like a little bit floofy. It's like, oh, well, you must not have like any legitimate goals or hopes for yourself if you're just so focused on being happy. But 
you know, why can't you do both? And it seems as though you started to kind of carve that path for yourself. So explain to me then, or explain to the hurdlers then what happened in your journey, because you're still in dance conservatory and you're doing this yoga and it seems to feel like a good fit. So where do you go from there? Yeah. So I'm kind of just, again, organizing it for myself. Like, okay, I have this thing that I can continue to explore in my life for myself. So, you know, I'm the, the, you know, nerd that reads the whole book cover to cover, looks at the back, says, oh, there's a place I can go for this. And then I, I go to that place in San Diego on holiday, on the Christmas holiday and, you know, walk around and it's this kind of modern day ashram and all these people are kind of walking around and they're all, you know, I was young then, I guess like late teens, but people seemed quite a bit older and in a different phase of life, like not even 30s and 40s, but in the, you know, 50s and 60s and kind of this winding down phase in life. And I'm thinking, you know, where, where is everybody? <laughs> you know, what's, what's going on? So I just started to kind of look around. And even back then, yoga was on flyers and it was seemed like it was on some back room somewhere and you'd find some strange person with some incense that had some secret to the universe. You know, I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> this is awesome. So I guess it was just, you know, really a moment in time before yoga started to be presented in a more easier way to, to practice really. And whether it's in gyms or in, you know, studios with, with more instructors that weren't just some older person in the back of the room somewhere. So I just started going to all these places and I kind of started to get the clue that, okay, maybe people, not just like me, but people that I know aren't practicing because one, it's hard to find, but two, it's kind of, you know, hard to understand. And the way that I'm experiencing it for myself, I don't hear being taught back to me in that way. It's being taught back to me in a very, you know, I don't want to say convoluted, but very kind of distant way. And, and this first teacher I had, it was just so simple and normal. And I'm like, I just thought everybody was going to be like this person. <laughs> so I really just think it was a moment in time before it kind of caught on that people realize it's inside of you. It's inside of everybody. Therefore, everybody can experience it. And we can have teachers that are very different from each other, that everybody can find their own teacher that makes sense for them. So, you know, I just felt like, oh, I just want to, I want my friends to know this. <laughs> and, and really that, that's still how I feel all the time. You know, more people uh, do yoga, of course, now than then, but there's still so many more people that don't. So I think I'm really just helping those people that still don't <laughs> in that way. It's so interesting uh, to hear you talk about how different practitioners may resonate with different individuals. I was in a yoga class this morning and it became apparent to me as many of us haven't you know, been in our regular routines when it comes to fitness. I used to take yoga classes in studio all of the time. I have, because of the pandemic, certainly taken a step back. But being back in that room and hearing her explain like how to do certain poses, you realize in that moment, like how important and critical, like clear instruction and direction is to that experience because it can make or break that moment. So for you, it's like adding in, okay, I need to be able to explain and clarify like what it is that I want the other people in the room to do, but then also on a personality or like a real human level, it's a deeper connection, which is how you bring that instruction into the room, how you show up in that room, your energy in that room. So many of the things, which I'm sure learning early on probably felt a little bit overwhelming. 
Yeah, for me, yoga was overwhelming in this amazing way where I felt like I was in my own spaceship <laughs> and and I can go anywhere from here. So, you know, it was kind of that huge bucket of feelings and figuring out, oh my gosh, there's a practice for this. There's a container for this. I'm in here somewhere as well, not just these things to learn, but I'm part of those ingredients. And, you know, again, learning that and then realizing, you know, a lot of people get into a yoga class or really any powerful experience. And it's really easy to forget yourself in that experience, to try to learn about yoga and do it correctly, but forget that you're the one doing it correctly. You're the one in there. It's about you and how you feel. So I just started to, to really catch on to those two aspects of I'm learning this yoga, but I'm also the one learning it. And I think, you know, so many people that I was meeting were, were learning the yoga thing and they were getting good at yoga, but they were getting further away from themselves. So then I thought, oh, wow, there's, there's so much there to explore. And not that I need to explain anything to anybody, but just to share that this is about you. This is about you feeling better. You can go and learn this thing, but don't forget about yourself in the process. And so much more will make sense to you. In this part of your journey, aside from getting more into yoga, what's going on in your personal life? Oh, gosh, I moved to New York. I'm kind of doing, you know, what I would call then to my friends, you know, pounding the pavement, you know, walking around, just super excited to, to be in New York City. That was always my dream as a kid. Dancing and things here and there. I think my first gig was being in this Matthew Barney movie in the Guggenheim and dancing in that along with a bunch of Rockettes and other professional dancers. And I was doing some TV commercials. I kind of fell into doing that because I was very kind of physical. I didn't have a lot of... Um, inhibitions about my moving around and, you know, kind of got into that world a little bit. So I was, you know, very busy going around doing lots of different things. But, you know, the funny thing at that point, still everybody that I would talk to, I would ask about yoga. <laughs> you know, I'm saying, oh, are you doing yoga? Yoga is amazing. And whether it was a camera guy or, you know, um, a craft service person, you know, that had back pain or headache or whatever, I'm kind of you know, learning yoga and sharing yoga with them and they feel better. And I'm thinking, oh, this is so fun to share this thing. That's not just a physical stretch or a workout. Everybody knows, you know, if you're a runner, you should also stretch, <laughs> but it kind of just gets lost there. There's a beginning and an end, but I felt really this big expansion with sharing these simple yoga practices with just regular people that I would meet. And then there'd be this really easy way to connect and you know, I'd start making friends or people would tell me about their lost life story or whatever it was. And then we'd, we'd go away and it would be fine. But I just thought this is such a great way to connect with people while I was doing all of these other random things to explore my passion and pay rent and, you know, do all the things that a young person does in New York or any person does in New York, really. <laughs> I would imagine that at this time in the pounding the pavement phase, you certainly went through your fair share of hurdle moments when you were like, what am I doing? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to keep going right now? Because you're literally fueled by, it seems as though, just your passions. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a, a nine to five or a structure and, you know, I was my own boss, I guess, which was really amazing, but also my schedule was a little bit nuts. You know, I would do an overnight, you know, Whitney Houston dance video with like Bobby Brown. And then in the morning I'd have a lady footlocker ad and then I'd 
go to some dance practice and then go to a yoga class or whatever it was. And it was sort of, you know, I think also just being a young, excited person, uh, I didn't feel like I needed to slow down in any way because I was going and chasing and um, being excited about things. And, and, you know, I always had a place to go in this way. I always had a place I felt like I belonged, even if it was just for the day at some, you know, video shoot or photo shoot or, you know, working out an idea with somebody, you know, New York is so special like that. You can literally meet somebody in a coffee shop and come up with a project together. <laughs> you know, So especially back then before everybody was on their phones, now you can just text somebody on your phone and create a project together. It's even easier. So, you know, I think that was probably a challenge kind of looking back, but, you know, finding a balance of, of, slowing yourself down and not running yourself ragged is, you know, that's a forever challenge. I think for, for most people, for sure. You can't just drop like a, I was in a Whitney Houston video and expect me not to ask you about it or ask you about what other videos that you've been in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I did all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Um, the Whitney Houston video, it was her and, uh, Bobby Brown, my goodness, it was fine. It was this video called fine. And I think another one I had like literally the next weekend was a Ricky Martin video, <laughs> something, but I did a lot of TV commercials, a lot of music videos, a lot of, you know, um, things like that, I guess, <laughs> you know, it was, I was super grateful to, you know, be able to, to have these gigs kind of pop up here and there, you know, nothing was steady, nothing was, you know, I didn't expect anything to have a five-year plan in that world, but it mm. was really fun to to meet people, to stay busy, you know, to be around people doing similar things and um, uh, having good energy. And again, kind of always having this thing I could share with people, which was yoga, whether you're sitting there waiting for Whitney Houston to show up, you know, she was always like 12 hours late. So doing yoga with the other dancers in the video or the the camera folks or whoever it was, you know, I kind of always found a, a little job for myself, even within all of these gigs. So I was definitely having a good time. Back then you're talking about being in videos, you're talking about different modeling opportunities. Even today you're on camera constantly. Can you talk us through a little bit about your journey with perhaps how you view your body as we all know, a lot of these medians being in front of other people, the room for a lot of potential criticism. I'm sure that there have been times where that conversation and that dialogue internally has been something that you've had to work on. Yeah, I guess it's always been a part of my life. You know, I've been a performer since I think a lot of little kids, you know, we jump off the couch and we say, look at me kind of a thing. But with that, that's still my, <laughs> my somehow it's in there, you know, and I love this idea from a little age of just being on stage and in front of people to connect with people. And it didn't really make sense to me until much later, what was really missing from me with dance. And I always kind of felt like I wanted to dance with the people together. So I love this idea of performing, but it's not really a show, it's a connection thing. So I remember even explaining that to my dance teacher and him saying, well, yeah, duh, Tara, that's why you're great for yoga, <laughs> because you get to do this with people together. So I know for, you know, for myself, I'm, you know, it's, it's strange to be on camera constantly and to be performing constantly and doing all of these things. But I think the one big thing that's saved me or continues to remind me to not obsess or worry or 
panic or whatever it is, is this is a connection thing for me and it's a together project for me. And, you know, I, I know when I let myself get into that frame of mind, I feel better. And I know that the yoga class goes better or the project goes better. You know, my inhibitions go away and I feel like that little kid again, you know, dancing on stage at the local nursing home, you know, for the people just happy to be there and happy to share my knowledge and skills and whatever, but just more importantly, happy to make a good connection because we're all on camera all the time. Now it's, you know, there's got to be a, another big crisis coming with superficiality and, you know, all of the things that we put on ourselves and it's, it's, it's all happening right now. So it's got to be coming out later, <laughs> all of our problems with this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I would imagine that there had been times where in all of this casting processes, like someone always has an opinion about something about you and that, although maybe it gets to be something that you get a little bit more used to with time. I would assume that it was never easy to be told like, uh, yeah. yeah, I think kind of maybe back then, you know, I think now I, I'm curious to see if, if, if it's more inclusive now, if people are less um, dismissive, you know, because it mm. definitely was something that, Oh no, get out of here, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. But I, the one thing where I really found my place was, allowing myself to, to dress like my mood and to be like myself. And I almost became, I guess, for a, a period of time, uh, a little cartoon version of myself. And I think that was maybe self-protection, but it also saved me from trying to be like other people that were maybe up for the same gigs that I was up for. And I remember even at one point I had an agent that said, you need to make your hair straighter and wear tank tops and jeans. It was seven jeans were cool at the moment. <laughs> like yes. and like heels like Chanel heels and I'm thinking that's I mean I could play that part in a commercial but that's not my personality like I'm the kid and like my little brother's t-shirts that are cut off like my hair's a little messy I'm a little bit punk but I'm not really a skater but I, I knew kind of what I was at that moment and if the job wanted that I could get that if the job didn't want that it wasn't for me anyway so I kind of got saved for a little while at least while that was my personality, remembering, do your personality, dress like you actually are, be like you actually are. And if that's not the thing for, th for today, then that's fine. For anyone who's struggling with adopting that attitude or that mindset, again, this, this way that we've been being on camera constantly, of course, the influx of social media, constantly being on there, being able to so easily. And uh, I would say to the detriment of many, like compare yourself to other people. So for, for the people that are struggling to just like truly accept their true selves, what advice do you have for them? I think it's really important you know, and again, I think I got lucky because I got to discover myself before we saw everybody else constantly. So I think it's really important to take time to discover yourself, discover who the heck you are. You know, it sounds superficial, but what do you like to wear? How do you like to do your hair? What kind of fashion is interesting to you, not just popular right now? What kind of books do you like to read? <laughs> you know, it sounds so silly and simple, but, you know, it's so easy to just conform to, at least right now, the person that you look up to that has the most followers. And it sounds so superficial to say that out loud, but if you kind of look at your category and you look at the person that you think is doing so great, you know, it's so easy to just try to copy exactly what they're doing with the best intentions. 
but you lose yourself along the way. And yourself is obviously we all hear this, but that's your, your big power, you know, and every kind of amazing, successful person that we all love, you know, at least, you know, the good ones that are really inspiring, they say that somewhere along the line in some interview or some magazine, they say, when I started being myself, that's when everything started working. And it's not just be yourself and you become a superstar. It's, you know, be yourself and get good at the thing you're doing and share the thing in your own way. But, but the be yourself is, it's a huge ingredient and it's impossible to find if you're just looking at everybody else all day long and wondering, should I do that? Should I be like that person? Should I buy that shirt? Whatever it is, you know, maybe you love the shirt, but maybe you don't really. And you want to <laughs> find yourself a new shirt. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I totally get it. Even yesterday, I met another podcast host. We're in completely different verticals. She's mm-hmm. very successful at what she does. And I'm sitting there after her and I were chatting and I'm asking myself, like, am I doing enough? Should I be making all these X, Y, Z's? Should I be doing whatever? You know, like just so much, should I, should I, should I? And then it was like, stop, take a moment and like reflect on what you are doing, reflect on what makes sense for you and your brand, and then proceed in a way that feels true to that, right? Instead of just being like, well, this person does this, so I should do this. Like that isn't serving me and getting wrapped up. It's kind of how we started this episode, right? Like getting wrapped up in the things that I can't do anything about in that moment. That's also not going to serve me. So doing that like deep dive and that gut check is so, it's so ridiculously critical. And so fun too. I mean, we all, it seems so silly, get to know yourself and it, maybe it even seems a little bit selfish, but it's, it's absolutely necessary. I mean, we're, we're sharing ourselves, literally, whatever you do, whether if you teach kindergarten or you're putting yourself as your own brand, you're, you're still sharing yourself. So it's essential to, you know, to take that time to get to know yourself, to enjoy yourself. And, you know, you're here for, however you want to organize it for a reason. You know, you're not you playing the part of somebody else in this life. That's, oh my gosh, so stressful. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Daily Harvest. I love it when the sun sets later and the days get longer. I get more time to be outdoors and just live a little bit more. But here's the thing. All of this summer activity sometimes means I have even less time to cook and focus on eating foods I know are good for me. And that is why I recently switched up my game with Daily Harvest. It is honestly one of the best parts of my self-care routine. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, flatbreads, smoothies, and more, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. Lately, I have been loving on their new almond banana smoothie. I've also been making up their harvest bowls, my go-to, the broccoli and cheese in the middle of the day, and I cannot forget the deliciousness that is the artichoke and spinach flatbread. Again, all of these options built on organic fruits and vegetables that stay convenient at your disposal in your freezer so they are ready when you are. It's really the whole package. Get more time back to do you and take care of yourself this summer. Head on over to dailyharvest.com and enter code HURDLE25 to get $25 off your first box. Again, that is code HURDLE25 for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com. 
Elementalmedia.com. Also want to give some love to my friends at Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix that replaces vital electrolytes without sugars and dodgy ingredients found in conventional sport drinks. It is one of my favorite parts of my training. I look forward to shaking up a bottle of Element pre-run, post-run, and I can't forget about on my long bike rides. Proper hydration is critical for optimizing mental and physical performance. And what we don't talk about enough is that hydration is not just about drinking enough water. To stay properly hydrated, you need to consume adequate electrolytes. These help your nerve impulses fire, regulate fluid balance, help produce energy, and support strong bones. Drinking Element gives me the edge I need to stay in tip top shape. My go-to flavors, the watermelon salt and the raspberry salt, I cannot get enough. And now cue the good news. You can get an Element sample pack absolutely free and figure out your go-to flavor. All you've got to do is pay $5 shipping. Head on over to drinkelement.com. That's drinklmnt.com slash hurdle and get your free Element sample pack today. Again, that's drinkelementlmnt.com slash hurdle. Grab your sample pack today. Trust me, you will not regret it. What happens after the pounding the pavement phase? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, yoga was starting to get a little bit more. Maybe I was just finding more things. And actually I did this ad for Crunch Gym. (laughs) It was a yoga ad, but it was like a nail polish. It was pedicure Tammy or whatever. It was a silly thing. You know, they were doing all of these kind of like, I think they were still stuck in the nineties. It was like this pop art kind of a, an angle Um, you know, and I just said on the shoot for that, oh, can I, along with the payment, get a gym membership? You know, I'd love to go and see if there's any yoga classes at your gym. So I went and somehow I got so lucky. There was about five amazing yoga teachers there and they were so nice. And they were just like this person that I had studied with before. And they were all teaching different styles. You know, this one guy's name was John C and he was so nice to me. And he always just said, you know, keep going, keep doing your thing. He just gave me this personal encouragement that a yoga teacher never did before. You know, usually the yoga teacher sits in the front of the room and then they leave and you never have, you're never going to go talk to that person. That person is like, whoa, you know, way up there. (laughs) So I was kind of open into this whole new world of going to the gym and taking these classes from these awesome people. And little by little, they started to invite me to their studios. And I said, what do you mean studio? You know, <laughs> there's studios for this. So John C. and Michael V. and Amy Impolity was there. And Amy said, I'm doing a yoga teacher training. And I said, what the heck is that? <laughs> you know? And she made a flyer. And she said, here's the flyer. And she said, well, I do this for a job. And I'm thinking, this is incredible. You know, and she had a little scooter and a Blackberry And she was taking her scooter around town, teaching private classes to, you know, bankers and, you know, TV hosts or whatever. And she said, you should come to my yoga teacher training program. So I'm thinking, okay, sure, fine, let's do it. So I did that. And even in that, you know, everybody in that program was still 20, 30 years older than me in a completely different phase of life. And I'm there and I'm thinking, well, this is cool, but I I don't, I don't have time, at least in my current vision of things to you know, commit to teaching a yoga class 
every single night for the rest of my life at 8 p.m. on Monday night or whatever. That just seemed horrifying. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. But I love learning this and I loved her. I loved how she presented herself. So I thought, okay, well, here's one example of a person in the world doing this. And I just kind of left that in the back of my mind and kept proceeding, you know, in my other life. <laughs> but it kind of started getting in there a little bit of, wow, people are doing this for a job in their own way and and having fun and enjoying themselves. I love the reference to like first name, last initial. Like that is That's the most <laughs> like fitness, like planning. Oh, are you going to John C's class on Tuesday? Because it's never John because there could be two Johns. So John C. And I also love the reference to Amy having a scooter. It's like <laughs> back then that was the thing. That was the sign that she had made it with her scooter. Today, I feel like you see people on the scooters like bopping around all the time here, which is mm. hilarious because when you go to the other cities and they have like the bird scooters and the lift scooters, and that's like more normal. But here, like people buy their own e-scooter <laughs> just to get around and have some sort of a status symbol. Yeah, it was a thing. And I remember asking her, what do you do with your day? And she would say, well, I have at 5 a.m. a client. And I'm like, what's a client? <laughs> she would say something, you know, she'd go over to this person's house and teach them yoga. And, you know, she would do a few of those. And then she had a class at the gym. And then she had this group of us doing this training. So we were kind of bopping around a different space as she was renting and she was kind of doing this. And she was just very open and telling me what, how she spent her time. I just thought it was interesting. And I didn't know of anybody else doing that. <laughs> So the yoga teacher training program is obviously super intensive. It's beyond just doing yoga. It's so much more. During that time, do you reflect on any, maybe the biggest lessons you learned about yourself as you really got into the thick of that? Oh gosh. I feel like I was so much younger than everybody else that it was hard for me to compare in a way and to have the same moments that the other people were having. So I remember mm. just kind of sitting around, taking it all in and you know, the physicality part for me seemed obvious because of my dance background, but the emotional component was seeing everybody else go through their life story and how they came to yoga. Just observing that was super fascinating. You know, I felt like I wanted to find a few more people that were my age getting into this, but I couldn't find them yet because I just, they just weren't around in this particular course. But I just thought, okay, there's a whole world of emotional stuff <laughs> and I haven't experienced those things yet, but I want to have this yoga thing with me when they come. So interesting that you say that because that's certainly like a moment to be wise beyond your years. When I look back now, I mean, I'm 33. When I look back at my earliest years in New York, I think I got here when I was 23 and not having that deep understanding like I knew obviously that there was so much more life to live and I had so many lessons to learn and all the things, but to be able to have that perspective and be like, I'm going to learn so much in this time period. And I want to be able to best prepare myself and go into that phase with like this wealth of opportunity and knowledge and like excitement. It's, it's just kind of cool. You seem to be doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cool. Okay. You go through the teacher training, you have the certification. And when do you decide, all right, I'm going to actually really, really run and do something with this? Uh, never. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, I'm still deciding. No, I think, I think I just kind of put it away and just kept, you know, talking. It didn't really seem like a beginning, middle and end either. It was just another thing 
another yoga thing. And, you know, Amy was so nice and she's still so nice. She invited me and a bunch of people over to this place. She was staying in Long Island for some retreat and, you know, things just kind of kept going on and on. And I thought, well, this is cool, but I don't have time again to, to try to do this for myself. Everybody else kind of was starting to teach and do it more for real, you know, as a career. For me, it was still more of a life thing. But, you know, I think something happened, you know, just as I was talking to more people in my age group, really, they weren't they weren't going to the studios at that point. It, it seemed to just be the older, you know, 30s and 40s crew that would go like after some problems happened in life. And this was sort of the solution. And I'm thinking, well, we have problems too. <laughs> we need to get in there, you know? So I just started to lead and I, I did it in a silly way. I think, cause I was, I wasn't taking myself seriously at all. I didn't feel, um, you know, qualified from an age perspective, I think, because everybody had all of this life experience and they were leading these classes and they were telling stories before the classes start about their lives. And I'm thinking, I don't have any stories to tell yet that I want to share with doctors and lawyers and smart people, <laughs> you know, but I know how to lead a yoga class, you know, from my dance background and also from this training. And I know how to take people through that safely. And I wonder what would happen if I don't share my own life story and I just do the class and see what happens. So hmm. I made this ridiculous sign. I went to like mood fabrics and sewed this sign that said free yoga. <laughs> and I went to the park, Central Park, and I just stuck it in the ground and I just started doing yoga and a few people would come and I just led a yoga class and, uh, and people would hang out afterwards and say, oh my gosh, I feel better. I feel awesome. And they would start to tell me their life story after and my life story never came into it at all. And I think that's what I was kind of looking for. I wasn't looking to come in as this wise person with all of these, you know, poetry readings and lessons and every class needed to have this big theme around it. I just wanted to share the practice in a simple way and, and see what happened. So I guess that kind of became a laboratory because more people started to come, uh, fall started to happen. We needed to find an indoor space. The group wanted to keep going. And I said, okay, fine. <laughs> so started a tiny studio in my then at the time boyfriend's apartment and more people started coming. And, you know, it just, it just started taking up more of my time. It was still a hobby. It was still, you know, a nighttime thing. We had one class a week and then it was can you, can you do something on Tuesday nights? Can you do something on Wednesday nights? And I was like, okay, fine. You know, so it just started becoming more and more, you know, eventually we had to move out of the apartment. You know, the other tenants started saying, you can't have a yoga studio here. That's weird. And I'm like, you're right. It's not cool. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was nice, but you know, they noticed the sign on the door said like yoga on the fifth floor. So we eventually, actually, we eventually moved into the crunch gym space it became an abandoned building. And I remember that space being amazing on Broadway and, and Houston. And I, I just walked by and there was a sign uh, for lease. And I just said, can I lease just that yoga room? You know, the rest of the building had like weeds coming up to the cracks. It was completely abandoned. It's probably a Chase Bank right now. But I just remember <laughs> like for six months, we had that room and everybody thinking, well, this used to be the Crunch Gym yoga room. And then we got a, you know, a legit space. So what a full circle moment, though, <laughs> like going back to crunch and getting that space for you. I'm still looking for John C. You know, 
I wish they put the last names. I want to send them a thank you. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm Googling John C. Yoga Crunch Gym, you know, oh, man. but nothing. I feel like <laughs> there's got to be someone listening to this podcast that has a connection to John C. somewhere. So if anyone knows the John C. from about, what is this, like 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, this was like 2002. I was in a PT Cruiser commercial. He was okay, like 20 the years PT ago. The commercial girl, like he was just so nice to me. He really encouraged me as well. So. <laughs> the references on this podcast, the PT Cruiser, do they still make PT Cruisers? Yeah, I, they're still around. I don't know if they make new ones, but <laughs> the old ones are still around. <laughs> oh my God. They used to look so funny. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Okay. We're looking for John C. If anyone mm-hmm. knows where we can find them, thank you. Please, please hit up Tara personally. I would uh, love that. So then you're teaching yoga at this crunch space. Also like how intimidating, but also beautiful you taking on like a commercial lease in New York city. (laughs) Well, that didn't happen until I was pretty sure that I wanted to do this (laughs) because at that point, okay, you need to actually commit to doing this and you need to show that you can pay for it, which is a whole other thing than actually just wanting to do it. So, you know, I definitely waited until things were happening and like people were coming and I could save the money and, you know, pay the landlord and all of these things. And also the landlord, he didn't want us at all, but he loved celebrities and it was the easiest thing. At that point I had met, you know, Deepak Chopra and Jane Fonda and I could name drop a little bit. And he literally, I just show him pictures on my phone of me with these people. And he gave me the lease. (laughs) So that was his thing. I still had to pay for it, but he didn't want a stinky yoga studio in his building. So a stinky yoga studio. <laughs> and I mean, the good thing about a yoga studio, aside from like the electric bill is that relatively it has a low overhead cost. Yeah, it's, it was pretty simple. And another good friend of ours, Adam Gordon, who's a kind of a beautiful space creator, builder guy, he did all the design. And back then it was pre-Instagram. So you didn't need to have like a neon sign and a plant wall. It was just an open space with a beautiful changing wall that, you know, boys on one side, girls on the other, you know, nice bathroom, whoever wanted to use the bathroom and, you know, good sound system. And that was it. So simple. In that process though, I'm sure you had moments where perhaps like imposter syndrome crept in. You were like, am I really doing this? Am I really opening the space? Am I really going to take on this lease? So how did you silence that little voice in your head that sometimes would creep in? I'm sure with a little bit of doubt. You know, a lot of people are like, what are you doing? Like you can't open a yoga studio. And I'm thinking, I I just did. I'll see what happens. (laughs) No, but I think I, at that point I was so excited that I just wanted to share the class again without the story, without the roomy poem, without a lot of the bells and whistles that I saw work for a lot of people. But people that I was identifying with were kind of the people that weren't doing yoga yet. So enough of them were coming and being like, yes, this works for us. I love not being pushed into poses. I love a non-rigid approach. I love, you know, being able to be myself in this. And there was enough of us kind of doing that to sustain everything. But so many of my, you know, actual yoga friends from back in the trainings and the day would say, what are you, what are you doing? You know, are you, what lineage are you (laughs) teaching? And, you know, who is your guru? And, you know, I don't know if this is appropriate. And I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just going to go over here. Yeah. And eventually they all kind of came around and said, oh, I get it. You're, you're presenting this in a different way. And, you know, I knew enough about authenticity to know that I had to be myself. If I wanted to teach in their way, it wouldn't work for me. I couldn't 
tell my life story. I didn't have enough of a life story. I couldn't pick out a Rumi poem that related to the season of the year. You know, it just, I wasn't going to do that as good as they were going to do that. And their people were going to connect to that. So I knew what I was doing was helping people that were coming. So for me, that was enough to keep myself moving toward that, even though it, it still makes me really nervous because I know people are like, you need Sanskrit, you need this, you need this. And, and I just, for, for what I'm doing, I don't. When did you feel as though you were truly established, not just in that space, but as I would argue, a thought leader in your industry? Okay. So this, you know, act of God happened, which was ridiculous, which was Lizette Alvarez, who was the bureau chief for the a bureau chief for the New York Times came. And this was, you know, there was no profiles being done, at least that I knew about. And I was a subscriber. And she said, I have this column, it's called Stretch. I review all the local yoga studios. And I'm like, oh, don't say anything mean about me because enough people already do. And like, it's really hurting my feelings and whatever. <laughs> you know? So I just kind of let it go. And so she came and she kept coming back and coming back. And I remember like giving her a copy of my couple books at the time. And she says, no, no, you can't give me anything. I'm a journalist. She would pay for class, the whole thing. She called my mom. She called Deepak. She called Jane. She asked to come over to my apartment. And I'm thinking this is going to be the worst case for me ever. This is going to be the detriment of anything that I want to do. And I'm going to have to move back home with my parents in the basement. So she kept coming. And then she called me. Um, the night before the article was coming out. And she said, just to let you know, I, this isn't for the stretch column. This is the cover of the Metro section. It's like a five page thing on you. Um, yeah. And then she read it to me out loud. And the first couple paragraphs were like three bloggers that were mad that I don't teach Sanskrit in my classes. But then the rest of the thing was about how I was helping people with yoga and feel better and doing it in this different way, all of this stuff. And, you know, I hung up the phone with her and I was shaking and then Deepak called me and he said, you know, tomorrow's going to be a big day for you, you know, and, and, you know, I, I knew him, we were doing stuff together and he was always like such a good, um, you know, role model, like uncle figure for me. He would always say, do this, go here, don't do that. You know, very great to me and gracious to me. So I knew something was happening. So I was just full on terrified and, you know, opened up my door the next morning, the paper was there. I'm on the cover of it that day in class, like all the, and this was a different time. This was 2010. So like TV cameras were outside, <laughs> you know, stuff. I don't think happens now when you have a profile on something, but because of that time, all of these other things just started to happen really fast. And it was really nerve wracking because I thought, okay, I'm not ready for this big press, this big opportunity. I'm just, I just feel like a kid still shuffling around in my sweatpants you know, doing my thing. But, you know, she called me and she said, are, you know, are you okay? And I just, you know, thank you so much. You're an angel to me in some way, but this is still just completely, you know, making me panic. <laughs> but, but it opened up a whole new world and led to so many things happening quickly. And, and then, you know, I needed to just actually slow down so I could pick and choose and navigate and not make mistakes, you know, because before if I made a mistake, it didn't matter. Now I made a mistake and, you know, more people were watching. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I believe, is that when she called you a yoga rebel? Yeah, that was the title of the article, which, you know, which became what everybody referred to me even now. And, you know, so many people have used that for their own businesses. I think there's like a company called yoga rebel, you know, there's, 
rebel this, rebel that. You know, I don't think rebel's a new word, but I was really nervous. I thought labeling me the yoga rebel, people would think I'm rolling in on a Harley, you know, got my whips and chains and drinking whiskey <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> the way that she presented it was like, she's, she's just doing it in a way that's, you know, makes sense for her. And that was rebellious. And I thought, okay, if that's okay, then that's okay. So yeah, it did change everything for me. I love that idea, doing something in a way that makes sense for you. And in doing that, it could be seen as rebellious. But like how brave as well, right? For you to stand by the way that felt just truly authentic to who you are in a time where you said the first, you even referenced the first three paragraphs of that article, people <laughs> criticizing you, criticisms coming in left and right, but being able to stay firm in your stance and firm in who you are, that's really special. I guess. I mean, I felt like I was so benefited and still am and just constantly from yoga and you know, if somebody wants to do yoga in a way that someone else is offering, they don't need me. Nobody needs me, but I could connect with somebody that connects with it in a way that I connect with it. And if I can help that person connect to themselves, that's always motivating me. And, you know, I felt like that was, that is bigger than just me wanting to do yoga and feel better. I know that I can kind of see somebody and say, oh, I, I think I can help you with this. And then I can go away. You can kind of do it on your own or keep doing it with me, or it doesn't really matter. But I think that's always kept me moving. It's like, ah, oh, I have to, I have to do this because I know I can do something maybe, maybe useful. How have you managed to navigate those criticisms are the, or, you know, the conflicting opinions. Life is so much different now than when you had the space that was the old crunch gym. Now you've got, you know, 125,000 plus people following you on social media. That's not even considering your YouTube following, which is massive. So how do you kind of silence the haters, so to speak in the day-to-day -day now? Well, now I don't know about it if it's happening now. I mean, back then it was sort of, I was doing this thing and everybody else was doing something else. Um, but I also kind of knew that what I was doing wasn't harming anybody. And I, and I also felt, I mean, this is going to sound mean, but I, I saw the harm other yoga was doing. It wasn't, their leaders weren't in jail yet, but I saw them doing the bad things. And I would say something and say, you shouldn't be pushing that person into position. You shouldn't be, you know, dating that student who's 19 and you're 65, you know, and I was told to be quiet, you know, and all of this stuff is coming out now and it still repeats, you know, it can have a new whatever, but I, I felt very emboldened to say, you can, you can say whatever you want about me and I'm not going to turn around and say things about you, but I already have said something about your system, but I'm going to focus everything I know about the harm that that causes on the good that I want to be a part of and a change I want to be a part of. I don't want yoga to be rigid. I want it to be easy and I want it to be something that everybody can feel connected to because it is inside. And for so long, leaders of yoga and all kinds of powerful systems have held on to that power and abused people that are vulnerable. And I think that that's made me have a, an armor against criticism because I know that it's not true. I know that it's wrong. And, you know, people can say things, but it, it doesn't have anything to it when you know what you're doing is, is, you know, is doing no harm is causing some good. How has that transition been for you? I mean, 
of course, we can reference the past like 16, 18 months of the pandemic. But beyond that, this transition to uh, teaching in a virtual capacity versus doing so much in person like you had started out. I started making videos on YouTube when I found out what YouTube was. I said, okay, I can do this with my laptop. And you know, back then, there wasn't very many people doing it. So it was easy. And it also wasn't something that I understood when videos started getting a lot of views and a lot of comments. I just thought it was my mom, you know, clicking on that or something. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. So when I opened the space and people would come from different places around the world and they say, I did a video with you on YouTube, I was just starting to figure out the people in the computer were also the people in real life. So I started to have an easy understanding for myself that online is great in person is awesome. And if you can't reach someone in person, you might be able to reach them online. And, you know, these all can exist together happily. So, you know, I had the YouTube and that was cool. And I think when in person started getting really busy, I just said, I don't, I don't want to make YouTube videos anymore. This is more fun. And, you know, when, when the in-person started to get more full with, you know, traveling and things like this, I would meet people and they would say, well, I'd love to do a course with you online. So we figured out how to do that. And it just kind of became something if I couldn't be with somebody and, and it didn't seem like this was good and this was bad. It kind of always existed together. So, you know, I've had in some capacity an online and in-person life kind of for a long time, I guess, since 2006 or seven, <laughs> my gosh, but, um, but, but yeah, now, right now, everything is online and um, we have online classes every day through our app and we've had that for a while. So that's really nice. But I think for, for me, the timing just seems so uh, amazing that the live element is new. I remember in the studio in 2010 thinking and talking to some of the instructors there saying, wouldn't it be cool if we could do, have a camera and broadcast it around the world, but it would, you'd have to be like ABC news to do that back then. It would have to be like a live sports match. You know, you'd need hundreds of thousands of dollars when now all you need is a camera, <laughs> any, any camera will do. So, you know, now it's kind of amazing because that we have live class every day online, which I love because I love, it's not that I love the in-person, although that's great too, but it, it, for me, it comes back to that connection. So I can make a video, put it up, and that's great too. And we have hundreds of those from over the years. We continue to do those, but the live connection is, it is really new. So that's something I'm grateful for right now. And the live class is on the app. Yeah. On the app every day. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And just for anyone that's interested in getting in on the app, is it a monthly subscription, annual subscription? How does that work? Yeah, you can do both. So I think for me, I've always wanted to make it as easy as possible for, for anyone. So you can do a monthly subscription or an annual. Um, you can drop into our workshop. So I kind of think about it just like a regular in-person studio. So however works for you um, can work. I love that. I love that. Okay. So, I mean, these days, as I mentioned before, a hell of a lot of people following you on social, they see not only a yogi, but a businesswoman, mother, a wife. For you, when you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> somebody with really long hair that sees a haircut. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm just so happy that I get to do all of this literally every day. I mean, the thing, the things that I spend my time doing are the things that I love and I don't take that for granted. I didn't think that that would happen for me either. I thought that 
I would dance for a little while or maybe even do yoga for a little while. And then at some point, you know, hopefully get a job, but I have, you know, no job qualification or skills to, do <laughs> to offer, but figure out something, you know, I thought, you know, maybe I was blogging, like maybe I could work as a, a feature writer or something like that. You know, I was kind of always dipping my toe in to, to see if I could, you know, have a backup plan like that. But, you know, for me, getting to do this is really the reward, getting to to spend my day doing exactly what I love to do and have time to rest, have time to hang out with my family, have time to practice with people, you know, that's awesome. And I think I don't take that for granted. I know that's not everybody's life and that's just pure luck in so many ways for me. And I just, I feel so happy for no reason, <laughs> really. I mean, I have goals and all of that as people I want to work with and things I'd love to do. And you know, all of these things, but I, I've done so much of it already. And, you know, it, it does really come back to that every single day I get to spend my time doing the things that I love to do and being with the people that I love. And that's really awesome. What do you see as the next phase for you? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I'm so grateful for learning about phases from uh, Jamie Redford, Robert Redford's son used to come to the studio. He's passed away last year. And that's, we went to Sundance and started doing a lot of things in Utah with, with them. And his sister uh, sat down and explained to me that life is chapters. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. Cause I remember telling her, okay, we're living in Utah now for a little bit. And then we'll go back to New York and we'll do this. And she said, Tara, take it one step at a time. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so I thought, okay, this is amazing. So actually right now we're in Illinois. We got this house to be close to family for a little bit which seems really odd for a lot of my friends in New York. Like, what are you doing? You're in the middle of Illinois. So I think being here for a while and, you know, when things are kind of opening up in a really big way for us, it needs to be fully back to no virus completely for us to do what we do because we go to Berlin and France and all over America and we bring people from like 15 countries together, which is the best case scenario for even getting a cold. Everybody would always leave with a cold after the end of something. So, you know, that needs to go back to, you know, no virus for us to do that. But, you know, traveling again when that's possible and, you know, being with people here. I love the idea of, you know, kind of giving classes at the local community center, helping people that have, you know, disease and sickness, things like that. So kind of going back to just the simplest of things. You know, I've had a lot of what can look like glamorous things happen to me or that I've got to be a part of, but I think it's a simple phase, at least for right now, kind of um, sharing yoga with the guys that deliver the couch <laughs> in between the <laughs> online classes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Tara, I'm so grateful for you right now. As we wind down the final question, you have an opportunity to offer yourself one piece of advice. I'm going to say when you really were getting started at the, with this yoga journey, finding out what teacher training is, trying to figure out how to manage that pounding the pavement chapter of your life. You have an opportunity looking back on it to offer that young woman one piece of advice. What do you tell her? Oh my gosh. I would tell her to slow down and um, trust yourself. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Too so much information would make a whole butterfly effect, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. How can the hurdlers follow along with you? How can they keep up with you? Give me all the details. 
Oh gosh. I mean, now the internet makes that super easy. So I'm Tara Styles. You can find me at terastyles.com. Um, stralayoga.com is all of the yoga. We have guides everywhere all around the world teaching and partner studios. You can practice with any of our friends and guides. Um, I have live class every day on the Strala Yoga app. Come find me anywhere. Amazing. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>